This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... Here we go again. Again. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. And welcome to the show. Hi, 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 hi. (laughs) (laughs) Round two for us already. Yes, but luckily it wasn't a snafu on my end for once. It was was a Tom. Tom had a mess up. (laughs) I did. Like, you know what sucks, man? You're flowing with the conversation, the show's moving all good, and then all of a sudden you tend to realize, oh, we never changed the memory card, and it's now out of... We're running out of tape. That's it. We're done. <laughs> like, I feel like we're old-timers again. <laughs> but, you know, we're back, and we had a really good conversation, so we're going to try to recreate it. Let's see Let's what happens. Recreate it, yes. And we have a guest this week, too. We do have a guest. Always exciting. Yes, and I'm really, really, really excited about this guest because... I feel like very invested in this guest, so I'll get into it once we do a You Heard. And I feel like also once we lost the show, like the first thing you said was, I just can't wait to get to the guest. Yeah. it's kind of like, well, we just spent the first 10 minutes talking about everything but the guest, so maybe it's good (laughs) we're restarting again. Maybe. We'll see what happens. All right. Let's get into You Heard and then get the show rolling in. So, this week's You Heard comes to us from the Uptown D at 7th Avenue, and you were actually with me when we overheard this together. God knows when this was. (laughs) So, (laughs) it was actually on September 19th. Mm. Oh, okay. It was... I'm a journalist. I keep track of everything. Fair enough. So... This couple gets on and they're dressed in like full Mets regalia and this like group of tourists were like, oh, were you, was there a Mets game tonight? And they're like, no, we went to the Yankees game and yelled about the Mets, (laughs) which is kind of fitting because, you know, the Yankees are one game away as of this recording to going to the World Series again. Again. Against the Brooklyn Dodgers. They're not the Brooklyn Dodgers. I keep Brooklyn doing Dodgers this. Like a hundred years, you keep saying Brooklyn I keep Dodgers. doing that. I keep doing that. And then, and I said to you, like right before we, right before I was like, oh, are the the Yankees in? Like I don't even know because I literally don't care about baseball, but. I care about it enough to say, to have said to you that, like, I wish the Dodgers win because there's such an old school, like, grand- East Coast grandpa team. But so do the Yankees, though. They've been around forever, the too. The Yankees are just, like... They win too much. It's, yeah, they're like, like, they're like the Patriots, the Penguins. Like, you can't... They're an elitist team. They are. And, you know, though, to. I did, like, I did like Derek Jeter. I did. Like, I thought he seemed like a really nice guy. You know, he just, I, I, I liked him. I thought he was a nice guy. But, like, I just can't get behind. Like, baseball is so fucking long. It is so boring. Like, to go to a game, like, we have a game tonight, for example. It's going to be hockey. hockey. We have an Islanders game tonight. And it's going to be two hours max. Yes. Probably. Well, yeah. Probably generally. Generally. But, like, a baseball game can go anywhere from four to 17 hours. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, I don't Jesus Christ. Were you trying to read a watch with hands? When maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm know. not good at time. I'm not no. good at time. We know this. But yeah, like, I just, I don't know. Like the, like the Dodgers just are like this old school team. And I just, you know, they haven't been in it since like 1988, I think I saw. So it's like. But, I mean, you know, it was the Cubs last year, and they haven't been in it. 108 for, years, yeah, man. So, so, I mean, that was really cool to see, too. So, it's like, I like seeing teams that don't just always get the prize. It's nice that everybody gets a turn, isn't it? It is. You millennial, just, no. your millennial mentology going on right now. <laughs> well, it's just I've never known a winning Islanders team. So, I, see, I, have known I want Islanders that team, excitement. Which is why 
you know, I'm not expecting it to ever happen again, probably. But we've, had our, we've had our chance and it's all, it's all gone now. But it's strange how, like, with sports teams around here, especially, it's like you can't be surprised that Mets fans go to an Islander game. I mean, Mets fans go to a Yankees game to, to root for the Mets. Talk smack, who yeah. Who aren't even playing. Because Islander fans yell rangers suck during every national anthem. every national anthem and the first time that i heard it which was like when i started to become an islanders fan was when you took me to an, like one of the preseason games at well, the you, barclay center it was preseason yeah accounts. it was the year before they moved to the barclay center so it was like their lap but they played like an exhibition game at the barclays and we, we were like i want to go let's go they're playing so close to home for the first time let's do it so we yeah. went and i was just like oh the islanders blah 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 and then i just loved them because they're so scrappy they're like the they're like the working man's team they've been so put upon for the last 40 odd years and then we're standing exactly exactly and like we're sitting there and all of a sudden it's just like you know the national anthem's playing and i always get like choked up during the anthem i'm just an asshole like that you are that poppies like you're very patriotic poppies oh i do love poppies i know you do because my grandfather was in the war man i know man so shut it so shut (laughs) but there's and then all of a sudden like the anthem's playing and i mean it was like a horrible singer i will say that and then all of a sudden you just hear rangers suck and it's like during the national anthem it doesn't matter like it's crazy there'd be no safe there'd be no shelter here there's and it's like we weren't even playing the rangers in the exhibition game no but that's the it doesn't matter rivalry though yeah no new york like angry new yorkers man is there any other kind? There's, they're just as bad as the Philly fans, I'd say. Because Philly fans are a-holes. No, they're, but they make the news. Like, they're, they are, like, top of the line to work. But, <laughs> but seriously, like, when you look at it, it's, it's strange to see that, like, the sports fandom here in the New York area is so cliquish. So if you like, you know, the Mets... You like the Nets, the Jets, and the Islanders automatically. Right. Automatically. And if you like, you know, the Yankees, then you like the Rangers, the Giants, and the Knicks. Mm-hmm. And it makes no sense at all, but it's just how it kind of tends to it's work. It's just out what it is. Here. Yeah. It, it's just what it is. But for you and I, we don't really care about anything but the Islanders, the Mets, the Yankees, the Jets, the Giants, no, no. the Nets, the Knicks. I mean, I'd root for the the Mets because, like, you know, they kind of are that underdog team, and like you're an always. Fan, so, so I mean, it's just I have to. to, yeah. Like, it's just I have to. <laughs> so that that there with that was this week's you heard with a sidecar sports knowledge ish. <laughs> That was a long ass. It you was heard a long ass you heard, but it was just as good as the first one. So I guess we. It was. It was. I guess we. You know, we set out to do. We did what we set out to do, man. I guess so. Mission complete. Well done. There we go. Welcome back to the nest. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest this week? I think. So this week's you heard. Or this week's you heard. Oh, is Jesus, it? Is this I just went back into time. I had so much fun. Please, so. you cannot go back to you heard this week. We spent more <laughs> than enough time there. It's time to move We can't it do it a third off. time, no. So this week's guest is someone I'm very excited about. His name is Ray Paget, and he wrote a book called Cover Me, the stories behind the greatest cover songs of all time. Mm. And this just didn't come out of nowhere. Ray isn't just this dude who just was like, I'm going to write not, a book. I'm not just some guy that knows cover songs. He literally is the guy who knows cover songs. Because since like 2006, he's had, he, he's had, he's, it started with a radio show and then it turned into this very popular blog about cover songs. And it's called CoverMeSongs.com. And he gives this awesome insight i mean i spent like i i lost a good couple of hours on the website just going back through the archives and you know doing my snoopy research that i do but he takes you behind these cover songs that you're just like wow to songs that you don't even you didn't even realize were cover songs so in this book which just came out this month um in october 2017 he covers everything from elvis presley's hound dog to the beatles twist and shout to you know unchained melody which i had no idea was not a righteous brothers original to you know the who summertime blues all the way through adele make you feel my love which was on her amazing 
debut album 19 which amazing, amazing which in my opinion was is my favorite Adele album like it was so so good it had like chasing pavements and stuff but make you feel my love mm-hmm. which I love on that album is a Bob Dylan cover how many Bob Dylan covers are there? he is because I you know I do not like Bob Dylan and I that's do not like no. him and I love him like, he's a mumbler He's hard to take. I remember telling that to Kyle before Kyle got into him, like when he was asking me about music and stuff. And he was like, you know, what's this Bob Dylan? I'm like, Bob Dylan is very hard to take. I don't like him. And I like him better now than like when his voice is so raspy and broken now, because I feel like it's like this is the Bob Dylan that he was always meant to be like from that age like he wrote these songs when he was so young and now it's like he's able to really sing them how they were intended like i think he is an an amazing lyricist like i think he's a poet he's a fucking poet but his music has been covered by so many people he's i i arguably think that he is maybe one of the most covered artists of all time like for sure it's possible and you know, and although, like I said, I don't like him, I definitely can appreciate the fact that so many of bands that I do like will cover his songs. And then and you'll like the like, song. Okay, I like the song. And you so, can appreciate how amazing the song is by what they do to it. Right. And it's it's very similar to, like, Ryan Gosling. Like, when we first... <laughs> no, no, listen. Because when we first saw Ryan Gosling in Drive, we were both like, this was an awful, I hated awful the movie. I hated movie. it. But to the point where... We basically abandoned we banned, him. We banned on, him. No, we didn't abandon him. We banned him. Based on one movie. But. <laughs> because I never saw what the big thing was. Like, all my friends were always, like, so in love with him. Like, The Notebook. And, oh, he's so hot. And I'm just like, eh. But his his directing, like, his ability to direct, like. Lost heck, River. Lost River was just. Magnificent. And it, it's like going, maybe your talent isn't in front of the camera as much as it is behind the camera. Because for a guy wrote off, he made one of the most visually pleasing movies that you've ever seen. That I've ever yeah. seen, absolutely. And yeah. it's kind of like, all right, well, I gotta give him credit for that. And the same thing with Bob Dylan. It's like going, I don't like you singing your songs, but like your writing is great. If you would, if you were a songwriter, which he is, it would, I mean, but I mean, if I know, you I know. Songs I'm just testing. I would like him a right. lot more. I think just because. It's his voice that I don't, I can't get past. Well, yeah, and that's a lot of like, like I said, it's a he's an acquired taste, and you know, I grew up on him. My mom loves Bob Dylan. She met him at the cellar door in Washington D.C. in 1966, I think it was, and she always loved him. And we grew up like with an appreciation for him. So I totally get what you're saying, and I I respect it. I res- you know whatever, but well, thank you for. I also me. respect that you respect the respect that you need to give him. So there we have it. Oh. But. Anyway, back to Ray. (laughs) Back to Ray. Who's this now? (laughs) So Ray, so we talked to Ray about Cover Me, you know, the process behind the book, how he decided to choose the songs that he chose. And, you know, let's roll that fabulous bean footage. Hey, it's Ray. Hi, Ray. It's Nikki from the High Regard Show. How are you? Hi, Nikki. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Um, so, you know, as a music lover and journalist who often goes down wormholes while researching, I have to say that I devoured Cover Me. <laughs> How long was the book in the works? Um... Three years or ten years, depending on how you count. What I mean by that is I've run this blog, also called Cover Me, for ten years. Right. Um, so I've been writing about cover songs for ten years, but then three years ago I wrote what became a chapter in the book um, on Jimi Hendrix covering All Along the Watchtower for the blog, just as a standalone article, and it became our most – I was like, it's way longer you know, than we, stuff we'd normally publish, sure. fewer videos or anything. But then it became our most popular article, and that's when I thought, I might write 20 more of these. You know, maybe maybe there's a book there. <laughs> nice. And speaking of, you know, I might write 20 more of these. You know, how did you choose what covers, you know, you put into the book? 
Uh, there were a few criteria. The first and most obvious one is they had to be good. Right. It's no fun to write 4,000 words on a song you don't like. <laughs> um, but then that doesn't narrow it down all that much because there are a lot of good covers. Then the next criteria would be they had to have a good story behind it. Again, I, I, I pretty early on decided you could write a book with 100 cover songs or 200 cover songs right. or so many. But I, I thought it would be more interesting and more fun for me to focus on a smaller list and really go deep into them. Research, original interviews, that sort of thing, right. which meant narrowing it way down. So that meant things with really interesting stories, with people I could interview. Um, and I tried to sort of arrange them. They're chronological in the book. And the goal is to, even though you know you can read them out of order, my goal was to sort of weave the sort of history of the cover song through these these 20 chapters from Elvis to Adele. Right, and you absolutely did. I mean, and that's what I really liked about it because, you know, of course I've loved cover songs throughout the years and stuff, but like I never really knew a lot of the stories behind most of the songs that, you know, I enjoyed listening to. And the research that you did was just incredible. How long did you give yourself to each song? And, you know, when did you know that it was kind of like time to stop and just walk away? Like, did you go deep enough where you were like, okay, that's the whole story? Yeah, um, each song probably took a couple months to do each chapter, although obviously there was some overlap. I was working on two at once most of the time. I knew pretty early if it was time to walk away. There were a number of, of songs, you know, famous covers great covers where there either wasn't much you know about them out there already Mm -hmm. and in that in that case if you know if i wasn't going to talk to one of the main people behind them then at that point pretty quickly i said well i can't write a chapter about you know so there's sort of a a list of discarded you know maybe next time maybe next time chapters but within within a few weeks i said if i'm not if i'm not getting original interviews i just don't i don't want to rewrite the wikipedia page sure sure and that's something else yeah that's totally understandable and you know so many things like there were so many things that i learned while reading this you know one of the favorite things that stood out to me was when dolly parton you know stood up to elvis even though she was (sighs) over the moon about elvis wanting to do one of her songs you know his ridiculous request of wanting a songwriting credit you know that was so surprising to me but you know you are what we can say as a, a cover song expert you know what was most surprising to you that you discovered during your research well so the funny thing is i i there's an easy chapter because i am the cover song expert but there are still songs i, I don't know are covers and one came up i made the list you know the list of chapter of chapter titles 100 or so ideas you know for the proposal and then about halfway through writing the book, I read a little blurb somewhere about Midnight Train to Georgia. And even I, the cover song expert, did not realize that was a cover until then. So <laughs> all of a sudden I say, wait, it's a cover, and it's a cover with a great story. And so it's, you know, even knowing a lot about cover songs, there's just so many that you can constantly be surprised. Right, absolutely. And what is the first cover song that you remember hearing in your life? <laughs> the, the first one I remember hearing, I write a little bit about in the intro, and it's... um. It's a cover of uh, the Gershwin song, uh, Summertime. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, you know, there's this, which is one of the most covered songs of all time, and it's this sort of jazz-y standard. It's uh, like a torch song, you know, most of the versions are sort of slow and languid. Right. Um, but I heard in college, um, Bob Dylan, people probably don't remember this, but for a year or two, he had an actual radio show on Sirius. Oh, yeah. Um, where every every week he would, he would, like play a bunch of songs on a given theme and one week the theme was summer and he opens with a version of summertime a song which again i'd heard a million times but he opens with this version that's by a soul singer named billy stewart and it's fast and there's horns and there's scatting and it's lively and it's danceable and i sort of remember sitting there thinking i didn't know you could do this with the song <laughs> the lyrics are the same but everything else is different right and that's right. sort of what started me down the path of looking for other great and unusual and strange covers right absolutely and dylan is such a he's such a master at like covering his own songs and like reinventing them like i've seen yeah. him in concert so many times and the song never sounds the same even though it's the same exact song it's so crazy <laughs> yeah he's, he's rare in that regard although one funny yeah i don't even think i mentioned this in the chapter but all along the watchtower now when he plays it he's basically covering hendrix's cover of his own song yeah yeah Absolutely. And I mean, and that, you know, his uh, Jimmy's cover of Watchtower is my favorite cover of all time, closely followed by Johnny Cash's Hurt. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. such an emotional song. But what to you is the greatest cover song of all time? Or am I asking you to pick among your kids? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I have a a personal 
a personal thing with Summertime by Billy Stewart, like I mentioned. Sure. That'll always be number one for me. Probably my other favorite. Um, I mean, all the ones I love in the book I love, but I've loved um, Patti Smith's version of Gloria mm-hmm. by Van Morrison, or actually by his original band, Them. For, for many years, that was another one of the sort of formative covers in my, in my journey of, as a cover song lover, just the way she totally reinvents this like yeah. garage rock song into a piece of po- a punk poetry. Right, absolutely. I guess you could call it. <laughs> and do you think, you know, in all your years, you know, for more than a decade you've been at this, is there a song that you think needs to just be retired from being covered? There's no song that needs to be retired from being covered. There are a lot of songs that need to be retired from being covered the same way. Mm-hmm. An obvious example is, is Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Um, I would love if someone did a, a punk version of Hallelujah, a high-energy soul version of Hallelujah, but these sort of slow, emotive versions, you're not going to do better than Jeff Buckley, so right. don't even try. Right, absolutely. <laughs> And is there a song that you think like you that you've not heard covered that you think should definitely be covered and by a particular artist, perhaps? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there are so many, so many great songs. I would say, just in general, one genre that does not get covered as much as I think it could is um, hip hop and rap songs, mm-hmm. which you sort of understand because they're hard to cover because they tend to not have melody. You know, right. so that's sort of the point. But in general, you know, if someone the few and the few times it's happened, it's been great. If you can just sort of totally break down the lyrics and just take them totally out of the context of being a rap song and turn it into a soul song or a pop song or a folk song or whatever, um, you know, there's one in the the one of the few examples is actually in the book. It's the Gord's uh, sort of bluegrassy cover of Gin and Juice. Right. But uh, there's not there's not many in that. It's a very small category, and I wish it was larger. Yeah, definitely. So, do you have a front runner for the best cover of 2017 so far? Um, I, yeah, I, it, it's close. I have to. We do a you know a year end mm-hmm. list of covers, and it takes. I frankly, I should probably start it soon because it takes <laughs> months of work. Um, so the, the official version will come out in December. But I just heard um, the Lumineers and Andrew Bird did a cover of Bob Dylan's "Subterranean Homesick Blues," yeah. which actually sort of segues off of that because it's the closest Bob Dylan ever came to writing a rap song. Which right. is why it does, Bob Dylan gets covered constantly, but Subterranean Homesick Blues is rarely covered because there's next to no melody, uh, there's no chord changes. But they did this cover, you know, with Andrew Bird on the violin and the Lumineers on harmonies. Um, I think it was for a Spotify thing. I'm not sure if it's available elsewhere, but it's it's totally fantastic. Yeah, awesome. I'll have to check that out. I saw that you wrote about that, so I'll have to actually listen to it now. Um, and when you first started uh, Cover Me back in 2006 as the radio show, did you ever think that it would grow into a popular blog and then a subsequent book? No. <laughs> Not even remotely. It was just, it was just a lark during college. I had, I had some free time. First, I was doing the radio show. And yeah, like you said, and then 10 years ago, actually this month, um, I just started it as you know a, an ugly looking blog spot <laughs> where once every few weeks I would just post some random MP3s. Um, and that was it for a few years, you know, it sort of developed a following on its own, but I was never trying to, you know, make it a brand or anything right, like that. Right. So the whole thing has been sort of a surprise. Oh, awesome. And finally, you know, what's next for you and Cover Me? Can we expect a book two someday? <laughs> I, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still trying to take a breath from this one. But, uh, you know, as I said, there are so many other great covers that didn't fit in the book. I could easily, you know, just write 20 more or 30 more or 40 more. So, um. <laughs> So we'll see. But next up is getting our, that 2017 list. That's what I've turned my focus to. <laughs> nice. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. I loved the book. And, you know, it seems to be doing, you know, it seems to be really well received. So that's got to be a great feeling. And I think you'll definitely have an audience for book two through seven, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great to hear that. Thanks so much. No problem. Have a great day. So that was our interview with Ray. Nice. And one of my favorite things, because I did read this book, um, you know, before we talked to him. And I mean, I devoured it. Like, it was so interesting. And like, the way that he writes it, like, the research. Like, I'm a big researcher when it comes to my stories, like, that I write and have to, like, do the interviews and stuff. Like, 
I never go into it blind. Like I have to. Like I love. Only like in this show is what you go uh, into only blind. the show is a blind. Yeah, like I only go into the show blind. Um, <laughs> like if you want to see prepared Nikki, check out Metro. <laughs> if you want to see like regular everyday Nikki, check out the High Regard show. <laughs> but I just I love like the research of like no like I love having things unfold. And one of my favorite favorite stories in Cover Me is these the coverage of Dolly Parton um she was supposed to have um let me find where is the song hold on where the hell is it what is it is it Jolene because I feel like everybody no, covers Jolene no, for real no, no. oh I think it was okay it was it was under this section where uh Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You which you know is arguably the most best-selling cover song of all time like that song was just it's out of the stratosphere. All right. Um, but Elvis wanted to cover a Dolly Parton song. And I always, and you and I have talked about this in the past, where it was like, you can't, like, you don't like Elvis. Right. And you were like, if you're a Beatles fan, you can't be an Elvis fan. And I always argued that, like, you can be whatever fan you want. Like, you don't have to be, like, in one group. Like, I love the Beatles. I like Elvis. I like the Stones. Like, I love all these other bands, too. But Elvis... Approach or like Elvis's people because Elvis, I think, was just a complete idiot to be honest with you. But his people approached Dolly Parton and wanted to cover one of her songs. And the thing about Elvis is his business people were like, if he covered a song, and a lot of songs he did cover, like Hound Dog and things like that, mm-hmm. he always the 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 business behind it was he would get a songwriting credit, even though he had nothing to do with the original version of the song. But that's how royalties work. You want the song credit. Of so course, you can so that you can cash. always get the money on it. And then if people cover that song... Now, so Dolly Parton is a, is a really good songwriter. Mm-hmm. She's written so amazing songs over the last decades, you know? So they said, we want Elvis to cover this. And she was like, holy shit, this is amazing. You know, Elvis, like it's fucking Elvis. And she's like, I would be so honored. Until she saw that they were like, the writing credit goes to Elvis, meaning that he gets credit anytime this song gets covered from here on out. And it's like, like, that is balls. Like, that is fucking balls. And she was just like, oh my God, the biggest artist in the world wants to cover my song. And she's like, no, I'm not giving up my rights. And it was like, good for you, girl. Like, you go, girl. Mm -hmm." And this is in a time when. Elvis was bl- like Elvis. Like, it yeah, wasn't like Elvis, Elvis was just everything. Out as Elvis, you know, it's no, down the road established yeah. Elvis. Exactly. At that point, like Elvis was like the king, and she was like, you know, in her own right, she was like the queen of country and all that stuff. And I was just like, good for you, like for standing up to that. And then she waited, and then Whitney Houston covered it. And so when all of that shit went to Whitney. Dolly got like back end stuff too, yeah. and it's like good for you. So she that, kept her credit. For yeah, songwriting. exactly. Absolutely. So like that was my favorite part of the book because I was just like, holy shit! And I remember reading it on the train, and I was just like, good for her for having like the business acumen to like protect herself because you always hear about people getting fucked like by like the managers and royalties and like selling their song rights and stuff. So it was like that was a really cool story, and there's lots of really really good stories in this book that you'll you'll know and it just so happens that we're going to do we're going to talk a a little while a little bit about our favorite cover songs and a couple of mine are actually covered in cover me i'm sure they are i mean it's you know it's a pretty meaty size it's a meaty book one might say so tom why don't you start us off with your number five favorite cover song oh man now you and i discussed this you know, when you got the book. Is this and written on a napkin? It is written on a napkin. You 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 use what you got to use when it comes right. You had a pad on the table. On your pad is your notes with your favorite cover songs. You said, there's going to be a surprise on it. And I said, all right, now I can't touch the pad because I'm going to read it before time and ruin the surprise. And you're going to say, you ruin a surprise. You ruin Christmas. Well, you do you ruin, ruin surprise. You are a you surprise ruin ruiner. So I said, you know what? You're a shitter on surprises. I'm just going to write it on a napkin. And okay, not even good. Look well, then I'm list. glad. I'm glad you so, did. <laughs> that typical Long Island dirtbag. Go ahead. Now, when you and I talked about this, I told you it's hard, man, because every day it changes. I have a playlist on my iPhone. And it is excellent. And every time I, because I'll just download music, download music, and then 
every once in a while I'll hear a cover song and I'm like going, I'm going to add it to a cover song playlist. So I have a playlist of nothing but you do. my favorite And it is songs. good. I love it, man. So get to number five, goddammit. Well, again, it's not necessarily in order until you get to like number one and it's this week's number one. Sure, that's fine. So, that's that's but, fine. Just get to it. But number one. No, number five. Num- which would be number five, yeah, would be, ironically enough, Maggie's Farm by Bob Dylan covered by Rage Against the Machine. Which you didn't even know that Bob Dylan wrote until just w- as know. you were getting I, this I list together. I did not know that it was Did Bob you know Dylan. it was a cover song, I, though? Okay. Yeah, 100% knew it was a cover song, but I feel like it's been covered more than just by oh, Rage yeah. Against the Machine, but this particular version is... Of my favors. It is a pretty good version. And I'm not a big Rage fan. So. Which is so weird to me, man, because you I love so the music. Up, it's like, I don't get how you can't get behind Rage Against the Machine. It's just like, they, they, it gets, like, his voice just gets to me after a while. Like, it's not something I could listen to for, like, a really long period of time. But I do appreciate them, and I, I think, like, they, they're awesome at what they do. And now it's Chuck D's voice, so I mean, you should and be I liking it. I do love Chuck more. D. I, I love know. me some Chuck D. It sounds even angrier, yeah. if anything. Yeah, yeah. All right, what's your number five? <laughs> my number five plays, it, it shines a little light onto my Pennsylvania dirtbag, my <laughs> upbringing, my metal kid upbringing. Mm-hmm. But my number five is Helter Skelter by Motley Crue. You see, that's a good one, man. I like that choice. It's such a good fuck. And like, it was, it was really, I was hard pressed between that and Live or Let Die by um, Guns N' Roses. Mm, that one's really good. Because that was really good. But like, Motley Crue's Helter Skelter was just like, it's so, like, Helter Skelter is a fucking metal song. Like, it is such a metal song. One of the The, first metal songs ever. Exactly. And every time we see Paul McCartney and he, like, he ends, like, like, the back, like, the show kind of ends with that, usually, like, in the back end. It's the intro to the encore. It is. And it's, like, so fucking, like, yeah. And I always think, like, that is a goddamn metal song. Like, the greatest (laughs) band in the world started metal with this fucking song and Motley Crue was you know they were the epitome of 80s metal bands like and this song is just so fucking good and I love that song only I love McCartney's version of that song so much I couldn't love the cover version more well I don't, I'm not saying that I love it more I'm just saying that it's my number five cover song oh you see for me these these cover songs are the cover are the songs that I like Better than the original? Better than the original. Okay, well, whatever. That's whatever. Well, we are listening now. We know, like, what to look for in our list. Okay, well, I'm not changing mine, so. I don't care. Okay, so go. All right, number four (laughs) for me would be Weezer's version of Unbreak My Heart, which was originally written by Tony Braxton. And I loved the Tony Braxton version. I was, I loved Tony Braxton so much. Do you hate the Weezer version? I don't hate the Weezer version. I don't. I think it's good, but, like, I just love the original, so... Yeah, it's just so out of the norm. It really is. Especially for a band like Weezer, who makes like pop music, to cover yeah. another pop musician to do something like right. this. Right, and that was a huge, huge hit for her. I mean, the video for that was just so, oh my gosh. I, I love I that song, and I totally, and I think the Weezer version is really good too. And what do you got for number four? Number four, and I'm hoping that I would have ch- chosen this, but I'm going through a Nirvana phase right now. Like, I cannot stop listening to Nirvana for the last couple days. So my number four is their cover of the Meat Puppets, Lake of Fire. Because mm. I always, like, when Unplugged came out, I just remember, like, listening to Unplugged, and I was just like, I love this song so much. And I never heard of the Meat Puppets, and it was just like, holy shit, like, this is <laughs> awesome. All right, nice. Yeah. That was a little bit of a, was that one of your surprises? Or were not they? No, the Motley Crue was my surprise. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, we're up to number three already, man. This list is cruising through. It is cruising for a bruising. Number three is the Marilyn Manson's version of Depeche Mode's Personal Jesus. Marilyn Manson, man, like I sweat. Like You there love was a time, Marilyn Manson. There was a time where I was like, Marilyn Manson is such a gimmick, man. It's not going anywhere. Years ago, that that's all I used to think of. Now I listen to songs like Personal Jesus, and I love the original. Oh my god, Jesus. the original is so good. And the Marilyn Manson version version just makes it so gritty. And that fucking video is nothing but just. I never saw the video. I don't think. It's just so like. Marilyn Manson. It's that, but it's like just like it's what makes goth sexy. 
is pretty mm, much what it okay, is. Okay, I it's, can see that. The whole video takes place at like like a frat house party with just like normal, you know. Yeah. Barbies and Kens hanging all over the place. <laughs> and then like the limo pulls up with Marilyn Manson and his gaggle of like gothic chicks that just come in the house and just fuck shit up. I need way. to watch the video of this. <laughs> it is brilliant, man. And the song is just, I don't know, man. He just, you know, going from not liking this guy to like listening to him now, it's just so much stronger, I think, not liking somebody and then being like hooked in. Right. Now I get it. And then from that, it's kind of like, all right, now I have an appreciation for Marilyn Manson. You know, 15 years after hating the guy, he's coming back to New York. And I'm like, going, man, I want to catch Marilyn Manson on a chance that he might cover someone else's music. I don't know. He might. I mean, he might cover that song. Because, I mean, I think it was a pretty big hit for him. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. The video, like I said, was yeah. brilliant. But what do you got for three? So number three is a cover of a Nick Cave song that I love called The Ship Song, which I love Nick Cave's version. Like, the original is just... Oh, it's just such a good song, the ship song. But this cover is by Puddles Pity Party, which is, you know, this amazing singer who just happens to dress like a sad clown, which is weird that I like him because, but he actually, it's not me. It's not me. And I actually got to learn about Puddles Pity Party through an interview that we did earlier this year with Skip Sheary because he's done some stuff with Puddles. And it's and it's just so good. And I was just like, God damn, all right. Like I can get over the fact that he is dressed like a clown. Because he is amazing. And like the way that he does this, and it's just him dressed in his little like white clown garb, just singing this Nick this wonderful Nick Cave song that I love hearing live. Hmm. And he's just on this like this stage by himself and he's just got this like old school mic and he's just singing this song. And it's it's incredible. It's one of my favorite covers for sure. Nice. All right, let's. Wow, we only have two left. We're down to the final two. All right. Well, number two. I mean, it. Number two is a lock to stay like in the top three for me. I That's feel how like I feel with mine too. Yeah. And for this, the original song was recorded by Mott the Hoopy. Mott the Hoople. Is it Hoople? It's Hoople. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. And on the internet, it was an I instead of an L. No, it's Mata Hoople. All right, Mata Hoople originally recorded All the Young Dudes, who was covered by, or which was covered by, Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. And man, <laughs> it's such a kick ass song. I played it for the other night. I you were did. like, what is this, man? And like, at first, I was like, I did. I wouldn't have known until he started like that, like, in like halfway through or whatever, when and I was just like, into Bruce when he turned into Bruce Dickinson, and I was, was like, just like, now it's a theater rendition yeah. of all the young dudes, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, it was just like this epic, like song by Bruce Dickinson <sighs> of Iron Maiden, of course. Of course, of course. So that's n- number two, just floats around like in the top three all the time. Because anytime it comes on, it's like, oh yeah, man. Because it's kind of like an old '60s song sung by like, yeah. you know. An this 80s metalhead yeah. where it's just like, wow. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. My number two has been my number two for probably the last 14 years since it was released. Damn. And I remember when this came out, I remember hearing it for the first time and just immediately bursting into tears because I loved the original. I absolutely loved the original by Trent Reznor. Mm-hmm. But when Johnny Cash sings Hurt, and he's at the end of his life. And you are like, fuck me. <laughs> like, I I started to cry on the train when I read the part about Johnny Cash and Cover Me. Because this is one of the songs that's included in in the book oh, by nice. Ray. And I was just like reading it. And it was just like, holy shit. It was too, like, I will never forget. Like, li- hearing that song and then having him pass away a couple months later. Like, with this song, like, as his legacy. And it was just like, holy shit. And, you know, in the book, Ray talks about how Trent Reznor, you know, reacted to the first time that he heard it. And then after he saw the video, which was just haunting and just devastating, he was like, I've lost my girlfriend because his girlfriend was the song, you know, and he was just like, that's a Johnny Cash song now. So it was really interesting to see how, like, he went, he did this complete 360 and how he, like, respected what, johnny cash did for his song like did to his song because it was like what johnny cash needed to do at that time of his life like it was him saying goodbye it was when when that song came out it was like man because johnny cash i mean 
he went away for like a long time. He did like the Bowie thing where, you know, he would would record like an album yeah. and it would blow up huge, and they would like ride that album for like years and yeah, years and yeah. years, and then like and they talk else about would that. Eventually come yeah, out. and Ray like talks about that, like how he kind of went away and like he did this kind of like songbook kind of thing, like leading up to this, like this was like his last album, I think. So like. You know, he gets into all that in the book and it was it's just so good. But I just remember like, man, like I always loved Johnny Cash. I grew up on Johnny Cash. So right. well, I mean you lived in the woods. You I did, a, yeah. You yeah. grew up on Johnny and, like, and oddly enough, I did too. My grandparents loved He's transcendent. Johnny like Cash. it doesn't matter where you live, like he just spoke to to something. Like whether you were a religious person, a non religious person you know, wherever you lived, like he, there was something about him that spoke to just everyone. Yeah. And I mean, it, w- it worked out perfectly. I mean, I feel like it relaunched him mm-hmm. right before he right passed before, away. Which was amazing for him yeah. to see. And great for, you know, the rest of his family or of whoever course. runs his, you know, business Of course, yeah. Because, I mean, like he set them up with that. Like he, you Well, know, sure, yeah. Relaunched a catalog based on that. Sure, absolutely. Alone, so. Absolutely. All right, so we're up to number one. Numero uno. And it's a weird twist that you would bring up, Trent Reznor, because <laughs> like I told you the other night, my number one song for months now, like it's just been there for a I very, know what very it long is. time. I know you know. Um, Nine Inch Nails covered Adam Ant's version of You're So Physical, and it is like the grittiest, dirtiest song it's a fuck song is it's how I described it. unbelievable how good it is. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, you take Adamant. Who, who is, is the person that Tom would leave me for? Who, yeah, probably pretty much. No, like, not probably. All right, whatever. If he walked so, in here and, and held his hand out to you, you would be like, bye, bitches. You mean if he walked in here and held his hand out to me with a glass slipper, I would find a way to fit my fat dogs in <laughs> he it. He would. You would be like, them yep. up And be like, yep, let's move to your castle, Adamant. <laughs> but he... um. You know, it's weird because I feel like Physical is one of those songs that if you're an Adamant fan, you know it. But if you're not an Adamant fan, it's not one that's, you know, out there for people. Right. It's not one that you're like, oh, I know that that's an Adamant song. Yeah. And Trent Reznor is like still to this day one of the biggest rock stars on the planet. Like Adamant like had his time. Like, He's an innovator. Yeah. Where he was selling out like, you know, huge, huge arenas and stuff like that around the world and Right. Stuff. But, you know, his time has kind of come and gone. I mean, I still love him. His core still fan go base see him. will always go and see him. He's but it's still not selling out. Huge, huge He arenas. sold out that entire tour that he did in North America. So, yeah. Uh, absolutely. But you look at somebody like Trent Reznor where it's like, okay, you're in the part of your career where you're still expected to sell out stadiums. Yeah. Adamant, you're expected to sell out like bigger clubs. Yeah, clubs, yeah you know, like know. bigger venues like but, the Beacon. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, to be covered by you know, Nine Inch Nails. That's huge. That's awesome. No, I think it is. And it is a really good song. And I love, like, I've loved, like, Nine Inch Nails since, like, the 90s. Like, Closer, I think, is an amazingly sexy song. So when you played this for me, I was like, shit. Like, that (laughs) is just hot. Like, it's just a hot, hot song. It is indeed. It is indeed. All right. And that leaves me now. So my number one is, you know, it's basic, I guess, at this point, but it's still by someone that I consider one of the greatest artists of the greatest rock stars of all time, if not the greatest, covering one of the greatest songwriters that have ever walked the face of this earth. And of course, I'm talking about Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower. Mm. Oh my God, which version? Because I feel like, you know, well, I mean, I know it's Bob Dylan originally wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Jimi Hendrix covered it, but I feel like, my God, there's a million versions of that song. Of All Along the Watchtower? Oh, yeah. yeah but Jimi Hendrix. Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is probably the most covered. Yeah, like Knocking on Heaven's And I love that song. I mean, I love like Guns N' Roses' version of that song. But Jimi Hendrix, All Along the Watchtower, is just fucking power. It is incredible. And he just picked it up. Like, he learned it, like, the day after it came out. And that's like Sgt. Pepper's, where yeah. he wound up playing that whole album, yeah. too. And it's like Paul McCartney in every concert. Like, since the, I've seen him so many times now, he always talks about Jimmy coming yeah. to, 
you know, his show like two days after. And play, yeah. And then, yeah, playing like the whole album. And I remember once, and I'm going to like bobble my head while doing this, but I interviewed Richie Havens, who was, you know, a great musician from the 60s. And he was playing at this little club in, uh, back in Pennsylvania. And he was a huge star of the village, like, you know, through that era where like Bob Dylan and Jimmy and like everybody was in the village patty smith everybody i asked richie havens like you know what to you stands out about that time being in the village at a time when so many prolific things were happening in the world in politics in music and the number one thing that he told me was he went to this little he just popped into this little club because he heard like this these amazing sounds coming out of it and it was a guy playing all along the watchtower two days after the song came out, and it was Jimi Hendrix. Jesus Christ, man. It's a different time just to be yeah. able to – every time, like, we read, like, a story about, like, people covering songs or, you know, the 60s in general, and you see interviews with, like – or hear interviews, rather, like, with, like, John Lennon or, like, you know, if Paul McCartney, like, does an interview, they're always talking about, like, walking down a street and a taxi cab goes by and – Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are in the back of the cab, and they're like, "Hey, man, let's get together and go somewhere." And they go a to a club time, and meet yeah. up with other musicians. And it was collaboration, and it was like, that's not something that happens anymore. Like, it's all about business now, and it's all about that's it. And I it wasn't just about making music because you wanted to and you loved it. Yeah, and I don't think there was a lot of money back then for musicians for record labels. Yeah, there was a ton of sure, money, yeah. but I don't think musicians were making hardly any money they were just happy to be like writing yeah and playing yeah and no stuff. no totally and these are the people that like turned it into like shit man we can actually get paid for this like yeah. we're that big and we can collaborate and do things and you know the idea of a cover song is basically the way i see it is either uh a, a testament to the person who originally wrote it and it's like going I love your song so much that I feel the need to cover it as right. like a thank you for this because I love that song so much I want to you know kind of give back or in a lot of cases you know it's kind of like you know the in the case of like Trent Reznor and Johnny Cash it's like man I feel like you did this song better suits you than it does me at this point in my right. life right and everybody benefits from it because Trent Reznor still gets the writing credit. Johnny Cash gets to sell the record. Everybody continues everybody to wins. make money. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, you know. But it was just this like, it, it's just a collaboration technically, and it's just like, and I think that's great. You know, I, th oh, yeah. I think that's absolutely great. And you know, if you're a music lover, if you're a history fan, you know, get Ray Paget's Cover Me. It's a fucking really good book you read it so fast i read it too, so man. fast like i just I, I i loved it i absolutely loved it i cannot recommend it enough it was a great great book and do yourself a favor and get it and thank you so much to ray for coming on this week's show man we really appreciate it and taking your time out and absolutely it was great great talking to the cover song expert himself and we look forward to your future endeavors yes book two bring it yeah. <laughs> all right so you want to go into a your final Roly Poly Rorty, as we are dubbing it. Yes, I'm feeling very brave going into Roly Poly Rorty. All right. Roly Poly Rorty. Roly Poly Rorty. So it looks like this is finally it for Roly Poly Rorty. It's hanging its hat. All good things must come to an end. But we're at a point now, which we've been saying for a few weeks. A few like, weeks we've been hey, kind of pondering it. It's kind of like... You've lost your is, weight. Like, yeah, like the weight's pretty much gone. I don't... If if more disappears, I'm afraid, you know, it's going to be like... Hey, you're going to disappear is, right along with it. Yeah, it wouldn't be roly-poly Rorty. It would be... So how much, are, how much do we weigh right now? Right now, I weighed myself on Thursday and I was a little bit bummed out because I did gain back like two pounds. But, I mean, two pounds on me, like, literally fluctuates. Right, yeah. And that, that's a normal. From day to day. That's normal. That's a normal thing that people do. Right. So I am dead on 170.0 is what I'm at right now. Um, Down from 302. Right. My my lowest, which was last week, was, like, 168.7. So, you know, it's like a. Like a really a pound point three is what I wound up getting. Oh back. my god! Okay. But I mean, it all makes a difference when you you know when you're at this point. But I think a lot of it has to do with 
finally starting to build back a little bit of muscle, which can easily explain the one and a half pounds because for the first time in God knows how long, I'm hitting consecutive weeks of exercise during closing, which right. I have not been able to do for months months months. right because after your surgery you know you remember us talking about running and you know tom like hit the streets again and then the health and then he had some health issues so now we've had kona for exactly one month at the time of this recording (laughs) (laughs) she looks so thrilled that she just (laughs) sleeps on the couch she's such a sleeper but so we've both had like we keep every single day we're breaking our exercise rec- records like for the longest days like wrong longest streaks and stuff because because of Miss Kona we're getting out and we are exercising where if we didn't have her we'd still be in bed we would be in bed oh, all yeah. fucking weekend long man which There's was no great doubt. I would love that but like because I woke up this morning this morning well, I woke up later. And I rolled over and I look at this one and I'm thinking to myself, like, for you, I'm willing to get out of bed. Yeah. Like, it's tough. It's, <laughs> it's tough getting out of bed at six o'clock in the morning to take her when it's still dark out, especially this time of year. But I love it. I love how quiet the city is. I love seeing, like, the lights reflected off the river. Like, And you feel healthier. You do feel healthier. I do feel healthier. Out. And mm-hmm. I am tired as fuck. So I am passing out. Okay, at a decent time. <laughs> which is incredible because you are a person who would never fall asleep before 1 o'clock. Now, by 11.30, your eyes are half closed. Which yeah. is, it sucks know. for us because of our stories and like I'm losing yeah. out on like time that we spend together at night. But you're turning into a normal person. <laughs> Like, well. you know what I mean? Like, you're turning into a, a person that actually fits into civilized society where you go to sleep at a normal hour, wake up at a normal hour. Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go that far, but I know what you're saying. Normal-ish, normal-ish. But, if, you know, so you've had this month of exercise. You know, how are you feeling, you know, especially with the POTS? Because your diagnosis with your POTS diagnosis, the only cure that they said is really exercise. So a month into twice daily huge walks Jesus. how are you feeling dead <laughs> completely fucking dead is how i'm yeah. feeling like it's crazy because i just keep feel like i'm waiting for um you know the energy to kick in like when i was running i knew like the first month was the, the first, yeah, month, the first was month was tough. tough yeah you know it was like okay you can run like for a minute walk for a minute run for a minute walk for a minute and then eventually you know you work your way into it slowly with a dog you know if the dog got to go to the bathroom, there's no, all right, well, I'm going to take it easy today. It's like, no, I got to get the two blocks to the park so the dog can go to the bathroom. Right, because, yeah. you know, it is def- definitely more on the line. Like, I can call it in on some of those running days. And then after a month, it's like, okay, things got better. Here, it's been like a month, and I'm just like, I am fucking dying. I feel like I'm losing even more energy than usual. Yeah, like, that's definitely that's definitely a cause for concern for me. Um, just because, you know, but again, they said that it was going to be a very, very slow road. So I try to keep that in the back of my mind when I see you, and it's like, you look half dead. Like, that's very scary to see. But it's a month. Yeah. Just a month in what they said could take years. Yeah, and considering the way the last month has went, I mean, the amount that I can do now is far more than I've been able to do in the previous months. Right, no, months. because once you had to stop running, because when the kidney stuff started, mm-hmm. you had to stop running full blast, and then you did nothing. There were, I mean, like we said before, Kona, there were weeks where you did not get out of the house. Like for an entire week, you stayed in and I was fine until it was like, no, you're coming to the store with me. Like, I don't know what else. Like, I I would try to make you walk with me and stuff. And I'm like, no, then you're coming to the store and you're standing outside in the sun just so to just to get some fucking fresh air. Like, and especially like, you know, and it did suck because we had a really, really hot, disgusting, gross summer. So, I mean, like, obviously that's a big thing, too, but... And like we talked about, you know, like uh, the weather definitely affects pots mm-hmm. in general. And um, so, I mean, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. But there are days now where it's hot still, where it's like if it was no Kona, there'd be no way I'd be leaving the house. Yeah, no, absolutely not. But, I mean, uh, it, it made sense, man. Like, it's so weird when you hear, have a doctor say, hey, listen, you know what you should do? You should get yourself a service dog. And it's like... With my 
living situation in a small apartment in New York City, and if the elevator breaks, the amount of stairs. She does not like doing the no, stairs. She, she will, but she's not that big of a dog, so it's it's a lot. It's a lot on her. Yeah, all the way up. she hates hills just like mom too. She yeah, hates hills. Legs. She has little tiny legs. little chicken legs. <laughs> but you know, if it's just crazy how you know one month of her just changes. Everything. Everything, yeah. And it's also not, I don't feel like it's just the exercise, but it's also a mental thing where there's someone else in the house to talk to. And it's like, oh, no, you talk to your dog. And it's like going, yeah, I talk to the dog because when there's nobody around for 10 hours a day and you're just sitting alone, (laughs) it's just nice to have somebody to talk to that's not yourself. And she's a pretty good listener for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that like roly-poly already has definitely run its course and you know this segment should now go to help people with pots more than right bariatric surgery if anybody has any bariatric surgery questions send them over to us i mean i'd be glad to answer them but like i feel like the bariatric surgery has basically run its course as far as what I can tell people about it right now because we've covered everything that we've had like it we're a year post surgery so I mean like this is you're gonna probably like this is you're you're almost at your goal weight which is an amazing feat because you were not supposed to be here this was supposed to be in another six months yeah but like you hit your goal weight almost like six months in so or no you lost like a hundred pounds within the first six months so like you know, you are definitely ahead of the ske- ahead of schedule, and now, you know, your body should start to kind of like level out a little bit. A little bit, I would hope. Yeah. So, so. I mean, I think that it's a good time, and it, we're, we could still talk about it in our new segment, which has yet unnamed, but we can't wait to well, reveal yet unnamed to the people. Yes, that's you what I'm saying. We can't. Yeah, yeah, that you don't know, but I know. Yeah. So, so look for this next week. I would say the new segment of, you know, what well, is going for the to pots. Yes. And as far as, you know, Roly Poly Rorty, if anything comes up, of course, we'll mention it. But, you know, thanks everybody for like following along that journey. We really do appreciate it. And the support too. You guys were great sense of support, you know, when Tom, like, especially during like the rough days, because there was a lot of rough days yeah. going into and after surgery. And, you know, we really appreciate your concern and your thoughts and, you know, all your questions, like we really appreciate the things oh, yeah. that you've asked us and, you know, let us know about your own surgeries. You know, we really appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Everybody who reached out after the surgery and like gave their advice and stuff like that. It went a long way because, you know, you can hear you it so know. much. But then after the fact, it's like a totally different thing. And right. It's, no matter what I tell anybody out there, it doesn't make a difference because the experience is different for everyone. Everyone. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, you know. For Roly Poly Rody, I guess this will be the sign off. And um, again, thank you everybody for listening to the segment for as long as you did. You're brave. Thank you. I'm brave. And that does it for this week's show. I'm feeling a little verklempt. Why? Because it's just a new segment that's going to replace it. I know, it. <laughs> I know, but Roly Poly Rody, like, aw. It's time. It is time. It's I totally time. agree, but. So, I mean, we, we've. You know, we gave out some good information. We did. Up till this point. so We did, and it's time to look to the future. Yes. And, of course, you'll always be able to find all of the old roly-poly information if you're new to bariatric surgery or considering it um, at our website at highregardshow.com. And, again, any questions or anything like that, please feel free to send them along to highregardshow at gmail.com. I'll and talk shop with you. And you could always find us on social media as High Regard Show. And you could follow along on our gorgeous little Kona's exploits as the Kona persona. Yes, yes I'm talking about you. Yes. And with that, I think that we will bid you adieu. A fond adieu. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening this week again, and we will be back right here again next week. Peace out, Cub Scouts.
Here we go again. Again.